Welcome to Season 4 of Game Design Unboxed on the No Direction Network. Danielle Reynolds talks to tabletop game designers about the games they've made. Together, they unbox how the game went from inspiration to publication. Proudly sponsored by All Play. If you're looking for a board game table, bag, playmat, or great board games, check them out at letsallplay.com. Thank you for joining me, Danielle, for Game Design Unbox Inspiration to Publication, Episode 67, Barbarian Battlegrounds, Tales of Barbaria, published by Greenbrier Games. Today, we are joined by Julie Ahern, the designer of Zpocalypse, Folklore, The Affliction, Fall of the Spire, Final Girl, Once Upon a Full Moon, Final Girl, Lore, and Scenario Book Series 2. And then, of course, the Barbarian Battlegrounds, both the Tales of Barbaria and Candy Horde. Thanks again, Julie, for being on the show and opening up what is our fourth season, which I am so excited about. I am so psyched to be here. <laughs> yeah, I was like, you got opener energy. You got to be on the show. Doing it. Yes. Awesome. All right. For anyone who doesn't know you, would you mind just giving a little blurb about who you are and how you got into gaming? Sure. Uh, so I was a, I mean, I've played games my whole life. I started designing games I mean, for fun when I was little because I was one of those nerd kids whose parents were like, sure, go ahead, explore, be creative. And so I had my own um, D&D modules. I still have some of them saved from like fourth through eighth grade middle school. It was like a big, big deal for that. And then didn't know really that you couldn't, you could get paid for that. So I was just doing it for funsies. Uh, so I was in grad school uh, for teaching, getting my master's in education. And my entire master's thesis was how to incorporate board games into education to uh, improve learning and test scores. Uh, and most of that, I actually had a difficult time at the time, this was 2004, uh, finding resources for other examples of it. So I did a lot of uh, the theory of multiple intelligences and how it incorporates a lot of that into my research. And turns out because it was a new topic that not a lot of people had researched, I got a lot of people wanting to hire me. And then once hired, they were like, okay, so do that. And I was like, do what? They were like, make games so that we can improve test scores. So over the course of the next three years, I designed hundreds of games for schools to improve test scores. That's insane. Yeah, uh, it was. And if it hadn't been for Kate, um, now Maxlow, who is now Dr. Kate Maxlow, who still works in the Virginia school systems and still works on gamification uh, of education and testing, uh, I probably wouldn't have been as successful. So the two of us were machines but this is also we were new and young and didn't need sleep just some coffee and a a dream so we you know made it happen and from there uh my first uh for commercial uh game in the hobby world was the apocalypse and that was again jeff being like i have an idea for a game and what do you think? And me telling me exactly what I thought, which wasn't always complimentary, but then became a, well, how would you do it? And a whole conversation. And that was fun too. So that's kind of how I segued into the game world, the game industry. 
uh, as we know it. That is so interesting and such a cool way to get into it, especially because I know that I, when I was in high school, I was a part of the Coconino Institute of Technology. And mostly what we did was you just gamified learning and it made things so much better. So that's awesome that you kind of started it. Right. And so, you know, this was um, for a title, I got hired at a title one school, which for people who don't know, means that the majority of the kids, and it was something like over, it was over 90% of the kids were on free and reduced breakfast and lunch. Um, So couldn't afford food at home. And so what is the motivation to learn? Because your, your priorities are very different, if that's the case. Um, And so gamification of things was huge. Teaching kids how to play is not and learning that it wasn't just for the education purposes, but teaching kids to play, to have some level of interaction, social interaction that wasn't, was also teaching them how to have good quality social interaction was a part of it. There was so much and it was phenomenal to be a part of and have somebody get very excited with you on it and not just somebody like an entire city be like, yes, more of that was, was pretty exciting. And it was, I definitely was in over my head, but again, coffee and enthusiasm. Made it I was going to say that definitely gets you a long way. And to have a partner, like kind of working with you and building off of each other's energies. Like a lot of times I just need one other person in the room and then I am 100% filled on energy again, but nice. leave me alone in the bathroom too long and I might fall asleep. Oh no. <laughs> All right. Well, then let's segue over to Barbarian Battlegrounds, The Tales of Barbaria. For anyone who hasn't played the game, would you mind explaining how the game is played? Absolutely. So um, so this was the, the second game in a series. So Barbarian Battlegrounds, uh, if I could start with that one and then go into Tales of Barbaria. Is, does that make sense? Yep. Okay. So... Barbarian Battlegrounds is two to four players. You're rolling dice. The dice represent your bears and D6s. And then you're allotting them to places, spaces in your village to do different activities. And the activities are um, either attacking other players or defending against incoming attacks or gathering resources. Uh, So there's a total of seven different places that you can put on your board. And you're only getting, you're starting with uh, three dice and can get up to five, I think. I'd have to go back and check the old one. But no. uh, what you're rolling to do is 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 very, very, very light engine building of, of gathering these resources and then spending them to either adjust your die rolls or... Um, mess with other players or to help with your own defenses and things like that. And then as you successfully attack other players, you're gaining glory. Uh, And we had little tokens with little capture the flags. Everything's very cute and cartoony. And everybody kept saying that it looked like cartoon versions of Ewoks, which was kind of leaning into that, you know, we wanted a cute and stabby game. I did totally get that vibe. (laughs) Perfect. Um, but then you also had bonus cards that had secret missions that let you get glory points that way. And you could immediately be like, I got this one and then grab a new one. So that was the game. It was about 20 to 30 minutes. 
there's a lot of randomization. It's fun. It's cute. It's savvy. Uh, and it was designed by Walter and Ian. So Tales of Barbaria was the next, was the, the people who came back and said, well, there's this engine building piece, but there's all this randomization and I'm confused. This is not fitting into either of my, you know, brain spaces for those types of designs. And I want more of an organized play structure. So that's what we did with Tales of Barbaria. Um, it has a player board that has research, like has an entire menu of things that you your resources can purchase. So while it has a lot of the similar core, you're rolling dice, you're allotting them in the village, it added... Um, additional ways to gain glory, not just the, I attack other players, stabby stab. It was, you can get that, but you can also go adventuring and place your dice uh, on a location to gain glory by doing great deeds. Uh, You also, in the engine building, can start um, leveling up and, and really building an engine that allowed you to purchase glory. So gain glory the old-fashioned way. I used to like saying it. You bought it. Um, So there was now three different major pathways of getting points. And then it lowered the randomization even further that even though you're playing dice and allotting to the board, the things that you could get were purchasing cards and then you could play them much more strategically as opposed to, I'm going to do this right now because this is when I can do it. Um, So that's kind of how it works. Okay, so... I guess this was the second in existing line of games. How did yeah. you come to work on it? <laughs> so for the first game, I play tested it. And then of course I was at Greenbrier. I was the vice president at the time, which meant I, and we're a very small company. So I was also doing sales. I was doing marketing. We all, all, well, all, wore all the hats, all the yep. hats. So, I was going to the trade shows and demoing it for retailers. I was going to game stores and doing game days at the store to sell it. I was, uh, so the first game, Walter and um, Walter Barber and Van Ness designed it. I played it probably a couple thousand times. Easily wow. between the play testing it and the, and then running it once it was published. Mm-hmm. So at the time, and to backtrack, uh, Walter and Ian also designed Champions of Hara. They're phenomenal. They've done some amazing work. And Walter uh, has continued to do a lot of really amazing dev stuff and, and designs. Tales of Barbaria was a joke. It was a dumb pun that they made in the middle of the night like in the middle of giggle fits and it came together and was done in like two weeks time. It was like completely synergistic, super easy, effortless. And we were like, awesome. We'd love some expansions. And then it got hard for them because it was that, that moment of aha, got something out, finished it. And in their minds, I think it was complete. And so when we said, we'd like to see more, it was a struggle. So Two years later, um, I got handed stuff. <laughs> okay. That's all I can say. It was it was cool concepts. There was like 
like clearly they had tried a lot of different things and it just nothing seemed to be to be working on it so when i got handed something to dev i got handed a lot of concepts and many of them were interesting concepts and some of them were more fleshed out and some of them weren't but at that point i basically said look we gave you right of first refusal and you really wanted to work on this and it's been two years and I need what you have. And this isn't, this isn't an expansion, which is what we asked for. Yeah. And it's not a game, but it could be. And I can see how we could, I could make it a game if I could take this and now redo all of it. But can I, is, is that okay? And this is, um, this is a hard conversation because it could go, it could have been, no, this is ours and we don't feel comfortable with that. It could have been a lot of different things. It went the very best way possible. And I feel like it was partly because it was a very honest conversation that wasn't easy to have and isn't always easy to have, but there wasn't a game there. There wasn't an expansion there. There was a lot of good ideas. None of them had actually followed through. So, um, that is why we all have co-designer credit on it because from that point on it was mine. And I think much like the first one, because I had played the original game. So at this point, so many more times than, than they had. Um, I knew what the, the mission statement of the game was, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. You knew what like needed to be done and what you wanted to see in the next chapter of the game. Right. So having these multiple pathways, which was what, and that was the other point was that I think they were getting hung up on this. How can we make it something that's more sophisticated, something for an older audience? Uh, I absolutely love the original game. It is absolutely meant to be for a younger audience or more of a gateway game and how to I'm not I don't want to say level up because it's not really leveling up I think that that's that's not the right way to approach it but something that was a little bit more challenging so somebody who had played Tales of Barbaria and might be new to gaming who wants something that's a little bit more challenging would still feel comfortable level I guess leveling up with it was kind of what we did and for me I had a really good idea once seeing, well, that's not true. First, I read a lot of um, notes that were handwritten still, and nothing was, nothing was in a spreadsheet. Nothing was, like, it was all very still chicken scratch on the back of papers and stuff. And yeah. like, okay, what are we trying to do here? And, and came up with a plan of, okay, so the multiple pathways of, that, that's a very, a more sophisticated concept having uh, a better idea of getting certain goals and pivoting if somebody else is up going up against you so that that confrontation can still be uh, very versus but you have a way to mm, mitigate it was something sure. that I definitely wanted to to focus on uh, and then not just these I have tokens and I'm taking them in front of you, which was viscerally very satisfying as a as a take that game to reach across the table and take tokens that these are now my points. There is something very tactilely satisfying or a uh, feeling of betrayal 
that was engaging in the first game, but didn't fit and have a good place in the in the second game. So having a, a point track instead. Um, and so doing that and making it more about the growth of your village and, and what does that look like? So that, um, all of that had to uh, play out. But once I started, I, it didn't take me, again, it was a very quick design. It took me about a month to complete. And wow, have that's done. crazy. Well, I know. I say this to you and you're... You, you're a you're a beast when it comes to turnaround. I know. Okay, well, no, like I can come up with an idea and prototype and play test it in a day. Yes, but it's not a fully made game. Well, okay, most days. Uh-huh. But yeah, that uh-huh. you shut up. <laughs> yeah, it's funny that I feel like I'm blushing right now, and you can't even tell. I'm glad Aww. there's no video on this. Yep. And okay. then the expansion was literally a thrown out idea that was just like the well, no. The idea was there and the art was there. I think this is what killed me. We had art for an expansion that didn't have anything except a, what if we added heroes and monsters? Oh. So they had made the art for the heroes and the monsters so that each of those uh, six different villages, you know, six different, you know, we had red, orange, yellow, green, blue, purple. So we had six villages and they were like, okay, so what if we had a different hero for each village and monsters? And we had so six pieces of art, six different heroes, and then a bunch of like candy zombie horde. And that, that was it. There was just a concept in art. And I was like, but wait, what? Okay. <laughs> and making that into an actual expansion that took a week. And that was, I, I think I'm, I'm even more proud of that, of being like, all right, how do we, how do you get them? This is, how do you draft them? How, what do they do once you have them? What's cool, but doesn't break the game. What is something that's worth, but cause I have very definite opinions about expansions. Expansions should enhance, but not be something integral um, to a core game. So what's cool and exciting and different about this and, but doesn't either break it or feel like, well, why didn't you just put this in the, the game to begin with um, is a big thing for me. So having that expansion and having that to come together in a week was really exciting for me as well. Yeah. So then I guess my question would be for the main game of Tales of Barbaria, when you're doing that, I kind of just want to break apart like different parts of it and see like sure how you came up with it. So you have the different seasons, which I feel like has become a much bigger thing, especially with how many nature games that have been coming out. But you've got your spring, your summer, your fall for the different rounds. Was that something like you came up with? Like, how did that all work with like adding the tokens, taking away and all that good stuff? Okay, so the timeline was always that came that was tweaked, but the spring, summer, fall was part of it because you, the whole goal was to have it before bears hibernate. Also, there are puns. Wow. Um, <laughs> Love it. So many puns. Uh, so we knew that there would be three rounds. What that looked like, that was kind of, that was a concept that was, was handed to me. How many rounds? How, uh, what, did, what did they, what happened in between 
was kind of open-ended, but we knew that there was going to be a spring, summer, fall. So that the game, they had one season for bragging rights so yeah. they could have their sweet, sweet honey dreams <laughs> during the winter. So terrible. Of being the Love most it. awesome. Yes. Uh, the track was not initially part of it. It was still that grabbing. But so here's the thing. Mathematically, if I, it's, it's a double punishment. If I take victory from you, I'm gaining one and you're losing one at the same time, yeah. which is extra punishing and extra sweet. So making sure that, so the track became a big piece of, uh, while, while again, very very tactile and viscerally satisfying. It also made the game very swingy and far more imbalanced, which is why it ended so quickly often and felt that that ending was very sudden in the base game, which again, it's light, it's rolling, it's silly, it's totally fine. But for something that where you're building towards something to have it just end is not a satisfying ending. So making sure Mm -hmm. that there was a track was, was necessary at that point. Well, that totally makes sense. And so then going through the game, you have your like plan, phase, adventure, brawl, gather, build, and then like your cleanup, mm-hmm. very systematic. And it's kind of cool in the way that you're rolling the dice and then you have your like player shield and then you're revealing. What made you decide, and I don't know if this was in the initial game, to do it where if you have like the same number, you can put them on top of each other that, for that specific was, actions. That was part of the original game. Okay, that so, was. What was the decision for that? Because it's just not something I've seen. So... The conversation about that, which happened many years ago, was, okay, so we roll dice, and rolling dice can be deeply satisfying or deeply frustrating. Depending on the numbers. (laughs) Depending on the numbers. What if the lower numbers aren't always not satisfying? How does that look? And so, for one, your resources, honey, you can only get with a one, two, or three. Um. So there is a specialized resource for mm-hmm. one, two, or three. There's uh, the uh, or is four, five, and six, and then anything can be fate because anything can be fate. Sure. Um, so, so that's fine. But then you start placing them on the board, and you again, once you start getting more dice, what if there's no place to place your dice, and now that's not satisfying? So, stacking became but if you can stack then what's the point of these numbers so it it was that was a that was an ongoing and it felt it just felt like a natural progression um but i guess less so when you don't see a lot of games with it but yes the stacking piece of it and it's fun because you know you're well even if you're attacking you're there, there have been moments, exactly two, in the many, 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 many times I have played the game where I have between spending my my fate to change the dice numbers and just luck of the rolls, I've been able to stack all sixes. So I had six or seven sixes with like hired mercenaries and everything like that. Um against another player because I was just frustrated. There's a release to that. Does it actually benefit you massively in the game to place all your, all your resources in one spot? No. Is there definitely this, like you remove the shield and you have 42 points against their, you know, defensive five. (laughs) 
<laughs> is that a satisfying moment? It kind of is. And yeah. it's, you know, does it actually do that much damage? No, that's that's not. It's a it's a one-off of the player track of getting one victory point versus losing one victory point. So it's you can do that with it and and have it still be, even though it's a shift of a huge swing shift in the dice rolls, there's not a huge shift in the point structure in doing that. So you can still have those very ridiculous um, swingy moments with the dice without it actually being swingy in the game and the end result of the game point spread. So you said it took about a month to make this design. Is that including like playtesting or just like you kind of solidifying like this is what it is and now we're going to playtest and maybe make a few adjustments? No, we did. We did. I did. Uh, so I did playtesting on tabletop simulator with the rough sketch of the actually before that I did play testing with a couple of friends of whom, you know, several. So I know Derek, Derek Johnson uh, and Daryl Andrews were both helped play testing. And um, then uh, Alex Cutler, I went to one of his game meetups and did some really early on here. I want to, you know, I think this is going to be great. This particular mechanic, how does this feel? And tweaking the, so for example, the, every time there's a tie, both in adventure, adventuring and uh, combat, there has to be a winner. And rather than do the greater than or equal to, or equal to like less than and equal to, I want, I wanted ties. I, I tried both of those. And then I also tried the roll every time there's a tie. And there's a little bit of ridiculousness to that. But also it's a game about bears where you're cartoon bears. So that leaning into that where dice rolls can suddenly have a sweet effect without having a massive effect on the gameplay. That was another good place to lean into that. So playing those types of mechanics of how far can I lean into the ridiculous without it actually affecting massively the, the organ, the, the balance of the game um, was stuff that I play tested with other designers first. Then I had it on tabletop simulator and was play testing it. The overarching game had quite a few play tests that way. And then I sent out copies to do, blind plays with new people so that I made sure that the rule book made sense and people could pick it up and play it. So I had three different rounds of playtesting in that month. Yeah, pretty much. Damn, you're a freaking champion. <laughs> uh, the early stuff started a little bit earlier when I was still looking at the E, but still, yeah, it was, it, it went pretty quick. Yeah. Um, but that's also having a great support system when you work in the industry or you work on designs with a lot of other people and you know, so yes, one month, but cultivating people I could go to to do that many years. <laughs> to get that to is that so point. true. Very, very true. So, of all the changes and like things that you made of this game, like what were you most proud of? The original game, Attack and Defend, is you know, it's the the like you feel like like that you can get into a pattern of just just attacking and defending and it becomes a very um like when you're playing a video game and you just keep hitting the 
the kick button over and over and over, like whatever it is you're like yeah you're ah, like spamming ah, mashing ah, the buttons ah, kind of yep. thing and it doesn't actually make any progression in the game taking that out but still having some interesting things about it so having the um the empowerment deck where you can gain uh take one of your guards and make them more powerful, but they can be attack or defend. So you can buy a stack of cards that make, basically takes one, if you have a guard bear, which again, you have to hire. So you have to have um, a one of each type of resource and spend them to hire. And most people go for the other, the ones that make more resources, which are so more honey, more fate, more, more iron, and they're they're specialists, so they go in their yeah. little slots and they auto generate. The guard bears are not, they're not as sexy. They're not. They're just they're like okay, so I get plus one to my attack or defend. Uh. But then you also have these cards now that you can purchase and take one of those bears if you have a guard bear and make them more powerful to attack or defend. And it's doesn't seem like like that's a big deal. But the fact that it's attack or defend means I can have one guard bear there. And then when you do the big reveal, look over and see that one of the other players is not defending and suddenly be like, wow, I'm going to spend this card and now I can attack you and you do not have defense and I gain a victory point. And it's a very sneaky and subtle way to suddenly get lots of points until somebody notices and starts counterattacking. Oh, funny. And I won a lot of early games that way because it was something that nobody was thinking to do. All I literally, instead of saying just defend because it's a guard bear, I said attack or defend. And that is a rule that like, that means that you can choose to wait and see how things play out and then be like, Oh no, I don't have to defend. Therefore I attack you. I love Um, that. So that was my favorite thing that I did. That was subtle and mean. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> You're ridiculous. I so know. then, okay. The game took like a month, but how long in total from you asking them to come up with concepts to you taking it over to it going on Kickstarter and then coming out to backers? How long was that time frame? Oh, whoosh. All right. So like I said, it was about two years before I got the stuff back. It was a couple months of me trying to dev it into an expansion um, and being like nope nope and then it was uh, I, I think we were at so I got the stuff um, it was origins when I finally had the sit down face to face let's have a really hard conversation about this and what I think it's capable of and what would actually need to happen. And that was with Walter. And I will say Walter is, he's, he's a great, brilliant, like creative person. He is got the biggest heart. And I appreciate that he also 
will be willing, like he was willing to give up the hubris of this is my game. What are you thinking? And instead it was, you're right. It was a struggle. We did struggle. I know you care about this game and, and having the conversation and me being like, but this also means that I would want design credit for this because this is far more than developing it. And him saying, you absolutely should like to a point where, uh, I've had people, he has sent people to get the, like, have come and been like, will you sign my game? Because, and him sending them to me and being like, Julie should be the one to sign it. It's her game. Oh, um, that's nice. Uh, it's, but, but he, like, that. that's a lot. That's a lot to be able to give that up. Um, especially if you have worked two years on something and are frustrated about it. So all the credit in the world and the fact that he, he brought it as far as he could do it. And then was like, and, and most people would be like, you know what? It's just not a game. I'm, or it's not an expansion. Make your own. And, and instead it became a, uh, almost like a pen pal collaboration (laughs) in a way of, of it, you know, having spanning that amount of time and then taking it from there. So I, it was a strange thing to have occur, but also one that I appreciate deeply that I was given the opportunity and the trust to, to take what he wanted the vision to be and actually turn it into something that furthered the vision exponentially. Yeah. And if you don't mind me asking, did they have like in their contract, I know you said they had the right of first refusal or whatever, but did they also get, because it's like their IP or whatever, a percentage of royalties still yes. to them. Okay. Correct. Yeah. Cause I know like depending on the designer and whether or not, you know, to put that in your contract, it's really important to make sure to include something like that, that even if you don't work on it, you still get something for it since you created the initial game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We also, I know, uh, got, they got an advance for um, the amount of time that they did try to work on it so that it wasn't oh, cool. just a, so yeah. So that was, that was June because it was on origins. I was finishing, I'm sure it was folklore, the affliction, cause it was always folklore, the affliction. So then I <laughs> didn't start working on it until October. Um, I did the initial, concepts in October and then I did the design for it like then the holidays happened so then the design for it happened where I really buckled down in like from mid-January to mid-February of that year and then it went on Kickstarter that that spring so probably within a year of having the conversation but because it wasn't in my um it, like literally it wasn't something that I was going to work on. And then we had this conversation where it was something that was going to be something that I had to turn around. Um, so it was on Kickstarter that June. And by then it was done. It was just, it just needed to be um, printed. Manufactured. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Art was done. Everything was done. And so how is the game doing now that it's published? Uh, I believe they're sold out. So again, I'm not, at Greenbrier anymore. So I see, I believe it sold out. It was, I know it was at Barnes and Noble. <laughs> so I don't know where they are in the, in the print run of ordering new print, but it was, it's, it was doing very well. That's um, awesome. It, it was picked up by Barnes and Noble 
And so hopefully you can go and get it there. Um, but now that I'm at Van Ryder, I don't know uh, where, where they are <laughs> with it. Totally makes sense. And so then mm. what would you say was your favorite and your least favorite experience in that design journey? My least favorite was the 15 million redesigns of the board. I'm exaggerating, but the <laughs> the board was keeping with the look and the feel, but also making something that was because it, it again, you, it's a much more of, of a open information type of planning board was a challenge and fitting it all in while it didn't look cluttered also a challenge that took a lot of time um and a lot of redesigns which was so like almost every day it was like a show and tell with zach who did the graphic design and me being like no 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 and him being like ah there was a lot of that uh <laughs> yeah. i had a vision but i also have no art capability so that was the that was the challenge there and the best part about it was getting to work with so so many awesome people so uh we had three different artists we had the artist from the original do a couple pieces but he was um way too busy to complete it and then finding two additional artists and all three of them being amazing delightful lovely human beings um and I know that of the three, Sonia Hinar still does art for the gaming industry. The other two, I think, have gotten hired by video companies. So I, I don't know if, if, if I think they're lost. They're lost to us. But Sonia Hinar has done some amazing art and design and also works on RPGs. And she, her stuff was phenomenal. She did the... Um, the heroes for the expansion and she also did the um all the cards the art on the cards of the um like almost the sketch type of art as well and i loved her stuff uh i loved seeing her concepts and i've also commissioned her to do me as a bear because i could that's amazing i love that so much how much did you pay to become a bear (laughs) So her fee for me was just because it was for me. It wasn't for Carter. It was something like $80. Maybe so you got the friend discount probably. I got the friend discount, but it was also because it wasn't going to be part of a game. It wasn't for you know, retail yeah. retail or anything. It was just a commission for me. Uh, definitely more money for, for the rights and using it for, for game purposes, but still like a super reasonable amount of money. And I would have to go back and look at the contract to know exact amounts. And also that was several years ago. So I, I kind of don't want to give. You're like, those I, rates are probably a lot higher. No, I totally get it. But incredibly talented. Totally recommend using her for any of your purposes. Excellent communication, phenomenal turnaround, but also the Armo was the same way. Uh, all of them were just so lovely of me being like, hey, what if we had a bear that was doing, or here's my bear pun. What can you do with this information? And then being like, what? Uh, okay. <laughs> to, to every one of my ludicrous requests was 
amazing. So working with the artists on this project was probably my favorite. So were you in charge of like the art direction for the game as well? uh, A lot of it was predisposed by the original stuff, but yes, I also did the art direction. It was, it was my baby from, from the minute I got it. So the art, the graphic design, the rule book, the playtesting. And normally I like to divvy it up. But at this point I had such a strong vision of what I wanted and knew that it would happen faster if I just stuck with it. But that's also why it's so important to do things like uh, playtesting and doing cold plays of, of people just getting it and seeing if it all makes sense outside of the company was imperative because I could be blind to things that I had missed very easily. So making sure that that happened was important. Yeah, I know that we tend to talk in circles inside our studio constantly where I'm like, could we just play test this with other people? Because then when I play test with other people, I have more to say. And then I'm like, see, I told you so. But I try not to be the I told you so person. But some days you need to be. Oh, no, I love being the I told you so person. I have a little <laughs> dance for it. There's there's like choreography. Oh, my no. gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, you're right all the time if you have choreography. Oh no. oh, no. I fully expect to be to be on the receiving end of the dance as well. That's that's only fair. But I like I like being right. I mean, who uh, doesn't? Exactly. <laughs> I'm like everybody in the world. I enjoy so much being right. Uh, no, I. <laughs> um, I also expect fully when I am not right to ad- admit it completely and entirely and that happens quite a bit as well as but that's interesting too that's the interesting part of of being creative that is true especially when you're taking on a project and it's become your baby you get a little blindsided but being able to accept when someone's like mm, this might not be right and being like oh you know what you might be correct <laughs> it is good all right mm-hmm. so then if you could offer a piece of advice to other designers what would it be yeah, I get asked this question so much, but... Um, well, here, do you want to direct it towards if you have a situation similar to your own where you're not sure if it should be development or design? You could give advice on that. No one's done that. Fair enough. So, if you feel that you are a publisher who is also a designer and you're in that position, I think the most important part about that is that you have to come... You have to have a open line of communication that has to be completely honest and you have to be accepting of the answer being no that is not okay and if it's not okay letting it go like not being a part of that i was fortunate enough in this case that is not going to be the case all the time as in fact in fact i feel like i've had conversations and sometimes you know like is it just your enthusiasm is now taking over somebody's design. Like, and also the, if you're a developer, there's a lot of, you're crossing a lot of lines if you're doing that. And so you have to very effectively communicate and be ready to receive the, no, you're just being pushy and that's not cool as feedback. Because that is somebody's, creativity and work and time and effort that went into it and saying well I just feel like it can go in a different direction and therefore now I've designed it 
is is not acceptable. You have to be okay with why is what is the delineation? Are you both on the same page of what has crossed you over into a co-designer? You have to be okay with it just being develop a developer and genuinely as somebody who also published the game if Walter and Ian had been like no that's not cool I would have been okay with okay I'm just the lead developer on it did I feel like I did more than that work to become a designer yes do I feel like in that power dynamic it's not okay to just put that out there absolutely yes there had to be a, an open and effective line of communication of talking about it of being okay with both of us feeling like we got what we needed from from this entire process and so i guess that's if you're a publisher be accepting of a no if you're a designer stand your ground (laughs) like make sure that you you really say like i i don't think that's okay and 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 make sure to you know, not just go along with it and feel uncomfortable afterwards and upset. Um, most cases, this this wouldn't have been the case. I think this was one of the best instances ever of of that happening. And even though it was not uh, the ideal way of a game coming to life, I am super proud of it. I love it. I have so much respect for for Walter and Ian and what they created as well. And I hope that they continue to appreciate, you know, and, and be good friends and colleagues as well. I think that's all really great advice. I know that I've come into the awkwardness of like, I got handed a rubber chicken that shoots a die out of its butt and they're like, make a spelling game. And I did. And then I got development credit. And I still call it like I designed it because there was no game. I was handed a chicken. (laughs) Correct. But it's one of those things where it's like, okay, uh, so no one's credited on the box or in the rule book. But then I personally put it on my portfolio. So like that's another thing. And the publisher doesn't care. But at that point, it's like this awkwardness of like, when are you the developer? When are you a co-designer? Like if you initially came up with a concept, someone else took it in your studio change it into something else. And then you've been giving feedback in a group dynamic. Like, are you a co-designer or did you just like ignite a spark that they turned into the campfire? Like, and that's, and that's so many having that conversation is part of it. You have to have a conversation and maybe it's, maybe you don't because it's the company and, but, but did the company say from the go or, you know, do you know what the expectations are? Have those exactly. already been set? Did you go into it? eyes open knowing what it is if not have you asked the questions or did somebody preferably give the explanation so communication it's communication it's about being able to ask for what you want being able to um, be accepting if the answer is no but know what your know what your hard lines are know what your boundaries are and follow through with them in a way that hopefully is still going to leave the future endeavors possible. I mean, if you have to burn a bridge, you have to burn a bridge, but preferably, you know, you want to keep having good relationships because 
like at least as a designer, I would like to have good relationships with other people because I would like to continue to design. Um, uh, as a publisher, I never want to be the publisher that uh, that other designers are like mm, steer clear. No, like you don't yep. want that. That's exactly. No, and I feel like if you're working with, you probably signed on with a company for a reason and being able to voice when you have a concern and like having that open dialogue is just so important. Like in my case, I had an open conversation and I do, I will have co-design credit because they're like, yeah, no, you did this and you continue to do things, which is great. And it's like, you're only ever going to regret not saying something. One would hope. Yes. Well, in general, yes. <laughs> I know me personally, I tend to say more than I probably need to because I talk a little too much some days, but I, I personally have found that it's typically easier to like voice your opinions earlier on because like the longer you stew with it, the worse it's going to come out when it does, which it typically does. Right. And I've, you know, I've heard so many of the, so many examples or instances of of it not not being a good exchange so i know that i'm very fortunate that i worked with somebody who was caring and understanding and didn't feel like i was pressuring them into saying uh you know i i i genuinely felt i had earned this credit but if they also believed that as well because they could have very easily been like no you didn't and uh, you know that would have been a much more awkward and uncomfortable situation. They, I still believed in the game and I still, it still would have happened. And again, I would have been okay with not having the, my name as a designer, but it's also hard because like you said, sometimes you feel like you're constantly fighting for the acknowledgement of being a designer. Um, and as a woman, I feel like that's a harder fight sometimes to have um yeah so it was it was a i feel like this specific i picked this game because i knew it was a tricky conversation to have and talk about and i want it to be a conversation that people continue to have and i want i want publishers to be cognizant of being respectful of the designers that bring them their work um, and I want designers to be ready to have a conversation about, you know, how, how okay, how not okay. When is it okay? Like, when is it okay for that to happen? Are you emotionally ready to let a piece of that go? Or is that something that is going to be unfair? And how do you handle that as well? 100%. And it's such an interesting thing, especially when you have a company that has developers on staff and they're working on a game and they kind of bridge into like co-design territory, like having those conversations. And I'm glad that this is like our opening episode for this season because it isn't something that's been discussed. And there's not a ton of resources out there for these instances. So, I mean, your version went well, but there's other ones that didn't go as well. But it's kind of great to like think about it. The vast majority of the time, it doesn't. And the vast majority of the time... Like, so I've done, we were talking about, you said Folklore, The Affliction, Follow the Spire, which is an expansion. I did the design of the town deck in that game. The vast majority of that design is, uh, you know, the original designers. So I have credit for the town deck. I don't want to overstep 
but I also know that I spent a lot of time working on a system for that. Um, This is kind of, I spent a lot of time in design in specific games like that for uh, Van Ryder games. You know, I designed one movie. The system is Mm -hmm. uh, AJ and Evans. Well, it's Evans original design based on AJ's design of hostage negotiator. So there is, I am very good at working in a collaboration. I want the credit for the part of the collaboration I've done, but I'm also very good at working in a collaboration. That can be tricky. That can be, you know, when you're giving a piece of yourself and somebody else is there, there can be uh, friction and that's, that's a challenge. Um, I'm currently working on lobster quest by myself because I just wanted a moment of this is mine because I've done so much of that in the, the more recent past. Uh, so, you know, then you design a game about lobsters by yourself. And <laughs> I was going to say, I'm like, yeah, what project should fans be looking out for? Apparently lobsters. <laughs> yes. Uh, I don't know if that's the working title is lobster quest. I don't know what the final title will be, but yes, it will be a, um, worker placement cooperative game about being lobsters trying to uh, mutinying a lobster boat and sailing around a harbor freeing the other lobsters from their lobster pots and either getting all the lobsters free or getting caught by the other fishing boats and and losing um so that is a game that i've been working on is it bad that immediately I'm like viva revolution <laughs> oh no that's not you're this is yes lean in to the ridiculous like again uh, you know i did all i i bear puns ran their course now i'm onto lobsters i don't understand why but this is where i'm at in life you know what we all have paths in our careers and that's just where <laughs> your career is going there it is next it'll be dad jokes which i feel is quite close to puns <gasps> um yeah yeah i'm good with dad jokes as well We're, we we have a passing acquaintance with each other i don't know though do i really want to gamify that is the world really ready <laughs> I mean, do you need a co-designer? Because let's be honest, I got <gasps> crap jokes for days. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, no. This is going to be so problematic. But also, it'll be a really good game for like a target or something. So I'm not mad about it. Fair enough. Sweet. All right. Well, hey, let's wrap up this episode with my last question. And for it, I want to know if there was a game out there in the world that you wish you designed but you didn't design and you can magically make it your design which one would you choose the mind the mind interesting listen there are so many big box like that i love playing that i appreciate gloomhaven and um wander cult of barnacle bay and everything simon has to offer all amazing cool creative and more in my wheelhouse the mind is so simple it's so elegant in its simplicity and I always have to go for the over produced over like I love it it's where I'm at but why I can't think of something that is as clean and just seemingly effortless as the mind will be the eternal frustration of my life Okay, so trying to like streamline the simplicity, but okay, yeah, yeah, I get it. It makes sense. <laughs> I, you know, it's that what's when I was so when I was younger, I was in theater, 
And the hardest thing in the world is to just stand still on a stage. You feel like you have to be doing stuff. And I feel like that's just translated into my design as well. It's, you know, I, I want to do all the things and share all the things and have all the components. And I'm, it's not a terrible thing. There are plenty of people that want all that. But let's face it. The mind is, is like how many people have played about it, talked about it. It's in so many stores and, and it's one to a hundred and a couple extra things and some very odd little rabbit looking creatures. Like it's, it's so, <laughs> I just, it boggles the mind. So, so that's it. That's the one. <laughs> that's the one. All right. Yeah. Totally makes sense. I mean, a lot of times you want to be able to design other things because I'm on the opposite end of you. I like to streamline the crap out of things and make can't it. Can't do it. I, I can't know. do it. That's my See? problem. <laughs> and someday, like maybe I'll go the other way. I but I only do the other way with like co-designers because it's like against my internal nature of design that I've apparently picked up over the past few years. It's fair enough. Yeah. Well, hey. Uh, thank you for joining us for this episode of Game Design Unboxed, Inspiration to Publication, Episode 67, Barbarian Battlegrounds, Tale of Barbaria. And thanks again, Julie, for joining us. For anyone trying to find you online, where can you be reached? Um, on Twitter, I'm Mushroom Julie, and but mostly it's Van Rider Games. All well, that's Van Rider Games. Yeah. <laughs> I will just direct you to where I work. And then I'm your host, Danielle Reynolds. And if you're trying to find me, you can find me on social media, uh, on Instagram and Twitter under Token Gamer, and that's G-A-Y-M-E-R. And thanks, Julie. This was great. I'm glad we got to talk about some kind of touchier subjects that we haven't really explored on the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this first episode for this new season of Game Design Unboxed. And thank you to All Play for sponsoring us. For anyone who doesn't know, Allplay has just launched the complete game room makeover Kickstarter. So it's your chance to get some awesome, high quality gaming furniture to decorate your gaming space. The Kickstarter includes the Jasper modular shelves, which are built specifically to fit your game collection and whatever space you have. And the reason for that is it's very modular. It can grow with your collection. I know personally, I have like 300 games and they've started to leak into multiple rooms in my apartment. So looking forward to that one. But also they have two tables, one new and the other older but upgraded. So first they have their new Jasmine board gaming table, which is the cheapest all wood board gaming table in the market coming in at about $399, which I can't even believe, honestly, especially because it still has all the accessories you would expect from a gaming table, like the dining topper and the cup holders. But also they have their Jasper gaming table, which has been redesigned with a sleeker look, better assembly, and a magnetic rail for all the accessories for only $899. I know personally, I cannot wait to have my board gaming table to kind of increase (laughs) the coolness of my apartment and my gaming space, but I would definitely recommend checking out this Kickstarter, so make sure to look at it. And hopefully you can get some cool furniture like I did. Thank you for joining Danielle for another episode of Game Design Unboxed, inspiration to publication. If you'd like to hear more great gaming podcasts, check out nodirectionpodcast.com. And if you're looking for a great board game, bag, playmat, or gaming table, check out All Play at letsallplay.com. Join us next time.